0: 1988, two fellow Wheaton students, Scott Swanson and Carolyn McLean, disappeared in the Chicago downtown area. Her red BMW was found abandoned with the keys in the ignition and the car running. Their credit cards were found a few feet away from the car strewn about the ground. The Chicago police, the Illinois state police, and eventually the FBI got involved. What happened to Scott and Carolyn. We had a three hour prayer chapel on the campus of Wheaton College praying for our friends. And once it was done, hundreds of Wheaton students descended on the city of Chicago with pamphlets and questions looking at every alley, every block. Days became weeks, weeks became months. And four months later, Carolyn's parents received a letter from their daughter. Apparently, the couple had wed secretly and told no one what they were doing and because they wanted to start their life together alone and chart a new course, they simply traveled to California and assumed new names. We made the national news on a regular basis. What happened to Scott and Carolyn from Wheaton College? I remember a wedding that Jenny and I attended in the uh, summer of uh, late fall or uh, late summer, early fall of 1990. Scott and Carolyn were there. And I remember standing afar and hearing Scott say over and over again to this long line of people, I'm so sorry for everything that we put you through and I'm so sorry for what we did. Would you forgive us? I'm so sorry for what we did to you and and what we put you through. Would you forgive us? I'm so sorry for everything that we put, like over, what would you have to do? What would you have to do in order to have to apologize to every single person you encountered publicly? Like at a wedding, what would you have to do? Can you imagine doing something so bad, so bad that it went viral, that millions and millions of people were viewing what you'd done, and that's Scott and Carolyn. Millions of people were calling out and saying the worst kind of things about you, so bad that you had to shut down all your social media accounts and go into hiding. Can you imagine doing something that bad? There are some students in Northern Kentucky. There are some students in Northern Kentucky who know what that is, even though the story isn't what we thought it was originally, they could tell you what it's like to be harassed to the point of wanting to go into hiding. This man here could also tell you he called the police on a pool member who didn't have an ID. She was black, he was white. It was racial profiling of the worst kind. Not only did he lose his job, but he had to close down every social media account he had, and he had to go live with friends in another state because of the death threats. What would you have to do in order to be so publicly shamed that you had to hide? Can, can we be honest? We have a problem with shame in America because we have become so unforgiving. We have become so unforgiving. No apology is good enough. No amount of consequences is good enough. Did they lose their job? Good. Good. Are they ever going to get hired again? Serves them right. I hope they starve. Mm, And in the knife goes with our rage and outrage. The offenders are pursued, hounded, and ruined time and time again. There's a fascinating TED Talk given by, of all people, Monica, Monica Lewinsky. And she talks about what it was like in the early 2000s to apply for jobs and have an employer, prospective employer, call her and ask this question. I, I see on your resume, it says, Monica Lewinsky, like, you're not, you're not Monica Lewinsky, like the Monica Lewinsky from the 1990s, are you? Yes, I am. Click. <laughs> right? What would you have to do to have your life ruined to that degree? Today, I want to talk to you about forgiveness and shame. Forgiving others and forgiving yourself is a way to tame shame. Forgiving yourself and forgiving others is a way to tame shame. In America, we don't know what to do with shame. We don't. We only have one word for it. It's, it's the same way with love. We only have one word for love. I can say, I love Brian Hull. And I can say, I love Jenny Vanderpool. And I'm going to tell you that love means two different things in those sentences. (laughs) I'm sorry, Brian, there's no cuddling later, okay? (laughs) Right? They mean two different things. Two different things. Part of what's going on when we participate in social shaming is that we're saying we think we're better than that person. They're a racist. I'm not. They're a horrible parent. I'm not. Better than you better than you. The other way that we run that, of course, is that we encounter these moments where we've done something or said something, and these tapes play in our head, and we think, I'm a worm. I'm the worst possible person in the world. Here's the truth. We're not better than them, and we're not a worm either. We need forgiveness. In the In the book of Matthew, Matthew, by the way, is a how-to-follow-Jesus manual. It's how the early church used the gospel of Matthew. You want to learn how to be a Jesus follower? Do what it says in Matthew. It's pretty straightforward, okay? And so in chapter 18... We see a topic of what to do with a repeat offender, a brother or sister who has wronged you repeatedly. How do you handle that? What do you do in that situation? How many times should you forgive? Peter, who probably wonders about the guy who simply says, I'm sorry, and puts on a show of remorse only to do it again, wants to know how many times do you forgive? And that's where we pick it up, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, seven times to know the context of the day, a good Jew of the day, you had to forgive someone three times. After three times, you were off the hook. You could shame them, you could, I mean, you could, you know, you didn't have three times, that's all. Okay, and so there's this uh, from the rabbinical code. If a man commits a transgression the first, second, and third time, he is forgiven. The fourth time, he is not. Some of you are like, I like this rabbinical code. Can I have a copy of that from my home and my office outside my cubicle? would be great. I would love to have it there. Peter's suggestion by saying seven times is part of his way of saying, see how better I am than this typical person, I'm willing to do it twice as many times as you're required to. Better than you, better than you. And of course, Jesus comes in and gives this response. No, not seven times, Peter, 70 times seven. In other words, you're gonna have, you're gonna be the energizer bunny of forgiveness. You're gonna keep going and going and going and going. I forgive you, I forgive you. I forgive you. Jesus' response is astonishing. But it's it's not astonishing because it's how God rolls. God is magnanimous. I can't say that word right, but he's generous in his forgiveness. He forgives us time and time again, the truly repentant. And Jesus tells a story that kind of helps us see what that looks like and that's verses 23 and following. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me, and I'll pay it all his master was filled with pity and released him and forgave his debt the word used here is a talent and it's ten thousand talents and from all the commentators that i've been able to look at it's really about two and a half billion dollars okay two and a half b billion dollars that's a lot of money i mean I can't even do that with $100 bills, okay? Like, I don't have enough of them. And so, two and a half billion dollars. And so, you might get one talent for a slave. So, let's say that his extended family is 100 people. He's going to throw 100 people and get 100 talents versus 10,000 talents. Is the king going to get anything from throwing them in prison? No. Why is the king throwing them in prison? It's emotional. When someone's taken advantage of you and you can throw them in prison where they rot there, don't you feel a little better? And that's what's going on. It's an emotional thing. There's there's no possible way this man is going to pay back this money. But, of course, he begs for mercy and the king gives him mercy. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this guy when he says, I'll repay it $2.5 billion? Do you believe him? Is he going to pay that money back? No. And yet the king shows him mercy. Well, the story continues. But when the man left the king, there we are. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed that guy by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down uh, before him and uh, begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So he leaves. He's been forgiven $2.5 billion. And along the way, he encounters a fellow servant who owes him the equivalent of 4000 bucks, And the guy grabs him by the throat, and has him thrown in prison. What does that tell you about the guy who owed the $2.5 billion? Is this a guy that you want to, like, trust managing your money? Is this a guy that you want to hang around with because he's going to be such a good friend and so generous? No, it's saying something about his character. The first servant was wicked and wasn't like his master, the king, who was generous. Isn't it true, don't you know people who have experienced God's grace and goodness or they say they have and yet they're a very hard man or a, a very hard woman? Don't you know people like that? And isn't there a part of you, they're vindictive, they're unforgiving and isn't there a part of you that's kind of like, um, hey, you know this uh, Jesus thing, can we talk about that for a minute? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you say, but then you do and <laughs> you know, I'm having a hard time here you do you do okay so verse 35 uh oh when some of the other servants let's pick it up with the 31 when some of the other servants saw this they were very upset they went to the king and told him everything that had happened so the king called in the man who had forgiven he had forgiven and said you evil servant i forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. And then the angry king, angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. So the, the servant's nature is revealed, the guy who had been given, forgiven two and a half billion dollars. And this is the key verse. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Jesus is trying to tell us something, right? If God has been merciful to us, then we should be merciful to others. And that's the kicker, verse 35. That's why my heavenly Father will do to you uh, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Now, there's, there's mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserved. I, I'm an adjunct teacher at Asbury University. Sometimes I give my students mercy. Mercy. In other words the gray the grade on their paper is a b the grade they earned is a d okay right see what i'm saying that's mercy grace is giving what you're not deserved okay um i think i'm oh i'm missing i'm missing this mercy is when you are uh when you uh deserve punishment and the punishment isn't given to you now i'm here grace is when you get something you don't deserve. So grace is what I show a student when they get a better grade than they should get because what they earned is lower. Um, On Asbury's campus, if you break the rules, right, there's punishment. If you're not punished, that's mercy, okay? And that's how that works. All that is to say, God is both gracious and merciful. He's both. He's not just one, he's both. And so... The point that Jesus is making is that because God is gracious and merciful, God's people should be gracious and merciful. Let me ask a question Does America need more people who are merciful and gracious or less people who are merciful and gracious? Let's have a poll right here at Generations Community Church. Which do you think more or less? More. What? Oh, you're living in Nick Vegas too, <laughs> especially on 27 in heavy traffic. We need more gracious people. I don't know if you ever tried to on-ramp outside of Knoxville. You need more gracious and forgiving people. When we join the shame train, we're condemning another person. We're saying that they're not good enough when we join the shame train. That they're flawed, they're unacceptable, and here's the thing: it doesn't lessen the shame that we feel on the inside. When we shame other people, it's not like it mitigates the shame that we have on the inside. It doesn't. It doesn't affect that at all. So I kind of I want to unpack this passage. How? What does this mean? How can we take this home? Okay. So obviously, one of the things I need to talk about is forgiveness, Um, and. I want to give you some practical advice from Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. When it comes to forgiveness, I want to tell you three things. One, name the offender. Name the offender. You got to... It can't be this vague, well, my parents... No, no, no. Name the offender. Um, Here's how you can tell if you're struggling to forgive someone. When you're driving down the road, do you have imaginary scenarios in your head where they're like oh Max I'm such a worm I can't believe how I wronged you I'm an idiot will you please forgive me and you're like I will never like if these things are going on in your head it's an indicator there's there's a there's an opportunity for forgiveness if when you're driving down the road you have imaginary daydreaming things in your head where you're giving them a lecture, maybe in front of the rest of the family and they're having to take it and everybody in the family's like, you tell him, Max, go ahead, yeah, listen to him, okay? That's also an indicator that there could be an opportunity for forgiveness, okay? So that's how you can tell. The other thing about naming the offender is when you figure out, oh, I'm mad at I I need to forgive when you're not forgiving them they literally have a hook in you and there's a giant tether and so even though you think well I'm just going to move on if you haven't forgiven them you move on to a new job guess what they came along if it's like an ex right and You've not forgiven, and you get into the new relationship. Guess what? It's a threesome now. (laughs) Like, you brought them with you. Okay? So I want you to imagine that giant tether that that is connected to you because you you can move to a new zip code. Guess what? They came along with the U-Haul. Like, they're with you. Okay? So visualize the hook. The second thing about practical advice on forgiveness is determine what they owe you. You've got to be able to name the debt, whatever it is that that you feel that they owe you. Um, You cannot forgive a debt that hasn't been defined, okay? And this can be an opportunity, the raise that someone else got that you thought you should have got, your childhood, your innocence. I don't know what it is for you, but you have to name it, okay? What did they take from you? And then the last part of that is you cancel the debt. Um, and if there were multiple offenses over multiple years, it's going to take more than once to do this. Uh, I always, for some of the bigger things in my life, what I've done is I've written it down on a piece of paper, and when I'm ready, I simply write canceled in red over the top of it, and then I shred that thing because <laughs> I don't want it around, right? But for me, it's just a physical act that's a signifying of, oh, okay. They don't owe me anymore. I have forgiven that debt. Um, and here's the thing: you're going to encounter them in situations. Things are going to come up, and there's going to be um, what's called triggers, and all the emotions are going to come back. And in those moments, I t- if I've done the act and I've I've made the decision, I just tell I'm like, oh, that's right. I canceled that debt. They don't owe me. They don't owe me. Um, and. You may need more on forgiveness, and if that's the case, I refer you back to a, a couple of sermons back in 2017 about what forgiveness is and isn't and how it's not the same thing as trust and all of that. But I'll, I, I just have to talk about forgiveness because it's, it's key in the passage. The second thing I want you to understand in light of this is that shamed people shame people. What? Yes. Shamed people Shame people. When you believe you're better than the person who wronged you, the person that you cannot forgive, or when you are struggling to forgive yourself, it's because you have a distorted view of yourself. Okay? And again, you're not better than them, and you're also not a worm either. Okay? And Jesus has a lot to say about who we are uh, in the New Testament. Last thing is, I want to beg you, please. Please do not participate in public shaming on social media. Please, please, please do not do this. The woman who was caught in adultery, the video that started off the message today, so it's a, it's a very shaming thing. She's been caught in the act. And if she's caught in the act of adultery, how many people minimum does it take to do that? Two, right? So we're missing someone right and and so she's there and as far as she knows that's going to be the end of her story the law is very clear kill him right and there's plenty of angry people that are like oh, an opportunity to throw some rocks here we go right and and so in that moment in that moment her accusers flee they leave in the presence of Jesus Christ I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and uh, I wonder if part of the reality of the resurrected life, when we're able to see God as he is, when we're fully in his presence and Jesus is fully in the kingship that is rightfully his, if, I wonder if the accusations will finally be gone. I know many of us struggle. We accuse ourselves and there's all these things that play in our head. I just wonder if just like the woman caught in adultery, if they're in that moment in the presence of Jesus Christ, the accusers flee. You know, by the way, that Satan literally means accuser, right? Nowhere in scripture is God called, I think, an accuser. Um, here's, here's what I would say we can show America a better way of living, a, a way of living in which shame does not have the final word. You may not know this, but one of our own local TV personalities this past week or so became yet another person who did something bad and was called out for it. He made some race, uh, racial comments online, uh, on the air. And... Uh, He works at one of the local TV stations. And so Lee Cruz has gotten a taste of what it means to be called out, what it means to be shamed, what it means to have people call for you to be fired and everything else. But there's an interesting video that he posted. He did something different that not very many people do. He told the station manager... for the log list of all the people who've called the station, I want their names and numbers and I'm personally going to call every single person. And he did. He called every single person and he did two things. Hi, I'm Lee Cruz from WLEX. Listen, 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 listen more, listen more, listen, listen, listen. Okay, they're done. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Do you know what he said? He was shocked. Most of the people who called the station were older black ladies, and every single one of them, when he asked that question, do you know what they said to him? Yes, honey, I forgive you. And he got choked up. He was like, (laughs) you know, when you're facing the end of your career, right? (laughs) He was shown a better way, forgiven I'm telling you, forgiving others and forgiving yourself is a way to tame shame. And our culture needs this more than ever.